Good afternoon and praise the Lord. Uh, it's a joy for me to be here again to share with you his word. Uh, for those who may not know me, my name is Libate Muhereza, and I serve uh, here as one of the clergy. Um, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be before you, to listen to your word as we share and listen from you about this topic, the sufficiency of Christ. We know that it touches the very essence of, of why Christ is Lord and Savior and why he is King of Kings. So we pray that, Lord, you will enable me who would otherwise be unworthy to share, that you will qualify my tongue and my lips, that whatever I shall say here will honor your name, and that each one of us here will, will be helped to grow and mature in you, so that in Christ we'll find all sufficiency. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Uh, according to the traditions of the church, uh, those of you who may not be aware, today is Palm Sunday. This is a Sunday that uh, we remember when Christ entered Jerusalem and they received him in Jerusalem as king of kings. And they were declaring Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were saying words, declaring him king, but they were not understanding the kind of king he is. And up to now, many people who follow the Jewish tradition have never understood who Christ is fully. And it is good that for us, instead of uh, just following the tradition, we are actually going into the very essence of why Christ is king, the sufficiency of Christ, who he is as our Lord and Savior. And... Uh, when you read the New Testament, you'll find that the overarching theme of the New Testament is centered around the sufficiency of Christ in all matters pertaining to salvation of mankind. The whole of the New Testament, it is anchored, it is centered on the fact that Christ is sufficient for salvation of mankind. He is the one who is perfect. He became the perfect sacrifice and there is no more sacrifice one can give in order to attain salvation. And so I pray that today we will understand that because there is a lot that we tend to do as Christians uh, thinking that it qualifies us to be better. Yet actually the only thing that qualifies us is putting our faith in Christ and just accepting that which he has already done, which is the forgiveness that he has offered us at the cross. So if you want to be delivered from your sins, from satanic oppression, you just have to turn to Christ. And later we shall understand how do you actualize that in your life. In the lesson that has been read to us, when Paul is talking about the sufficiency of Christ, he's contrasting it with what people do in their own efforts, or what they think they have to do in order to earn salvation. And he was doing it because the Colossians, even after they had accepted Christ, they thought that it was not enough, that they confessed Christ, that they were already believers. They thought that they needed to do more in order to earn salvation. And that's one of the things that the Jews, and some Christians, incidentally, of today, continue to do, to struggle with trying to perfect themselves on their own, or thinking that they will add on what Christ has already done. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, 
That's why, again, Paul talks about this issue. What people struggle with, how can Christ alone be enough? That's the question. How can he be enough? And he says, the Jews demand for signs, the Greeks or the Gentiles demand for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, probably sometimes you are used to, to the milk as believers, getting that which is easy to grasp. But today I want to go deeper and, and feed on hard stuff of what does it mean for Christ to be sufficient for our salvation. The hard stuff, going deeper. The Jews demand for signs. The Gentiles demand for wisdom. That is the Greeks. But for us, we talk about Christ, the power of God. And by the way, even us theologians, we struggle with this concept of the sufficiency of Christ. You find that sometimes we want to go back to what the Jews used to do. We think that for us to be true Christians, we must practice Judaism. And these days, there are messages that are going around that are telling you uh, the month of Kupum, which date of this, according to the, uh, the Jewish calendar, you must do this and this and this. And uh, you see at what people are struggling with, and you know that they have never understood the sufficiency of Christ. And all you do is to pray for them that at some point, they will reach at a level of understanding that Christ is enough. Yes, there are certain things that when you do them, you feel like you are better than those who don't do them. You are following the Jewish calendar in prayer, yes. It looks like you are a better Christian than those who are not following it. Hmm? It makes you feel more righteous, more knowledgeable. And that's why the Jews had a problem with Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he seemed to water down all that they had been doing. Telling them that they had been laboring too much to attain salvation, but all their efforts were futile. But whenever they did that, like the Pharisees, they felt good. They felt so much righteous. What we call self-righteousness. What I do is what makes me right with God. They didn't understand that it is what God has done that when we receive it, then we become right with him. Not what we do that makes us right with him. So when Jesus tells them that no, and by the way, he doesn't just speak about it. He even practically kind of contradicts their roles. He allows his disciples to do certain things on the Sabbath and they choose him. Why, why do you have to let your followers do this? He's just telling them that your laws and your religious ceremonies have been there for a long time and they haven't saved you. Your rituals are not enough. There is more that has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. And he tells them it does not come the way you see things physically coming, but it comes differently. You have to access it by faith. And he's telling them, when I am here, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is here. All you have to do is to embrace me fully, understand who I am. All you have to do is to embrace me fully and understand who I am. And the text that has been read to us, I will just speak a few verses. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, For what I want you to 
For I want you to know how great I struggle. I have how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of their full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He wants them to reach the riches, to, for them to reach the full assurance, to have the full assurance of the understanding of the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he's saying that what we need to do is to mature in Christ. Colossians 2.10 says, And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. Christ alone. He is the head over every power and authority. So what does that mean exactly? If he is head over every power and authority, do we understand what that means? It means that from a spiritual point of view, we are complete in him because he is all in all. And in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16, I will read that verse. Chapter 2 verse 16, actually there are more verses here that I will read. It says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the reality, however, is Christ. Now, Paul is talking to people who were Christians already, but people are telling you are not doing it enough because you are not celebrating these feasts of the Jews, the new moon festival, you are no longer taking the Sabbath day to be as holy as it used to be. What's wrong with you? You must go back to this law. And Paul is saying, don't let them judge you. Because those were a shadow of what was to come. But the reality is Christ alone. The reality is Christ. So do not let anyone, verse 18, who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. Other versions say about the visions they have seen. But they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to these rules? Do not handle, do not test, do not touch. touch. These rules, which have to do with these things, are all destined to perish with use. They are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom. And what he's saying is that when people get deep into this, it appears like there is so much wisdom. When they get into celebrating the feasts of the Jews, they appear like that is how much you should be as a Christian. And unless you do it, then you are not right with God. So he's saying such things have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence, meaning they don't change anything about your sinful nature. And as we go on, 
I pray that the Lord will help us to understand. Then these things are in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The Sabbath is in the Bible. It is a, it is a commandment. It is the fourth commandment. Why do we say that we no longer have to focus on it? There are many things, including the, the celebration of the new moon. It is also in the Old Testament. It was celebrated by the Jews. And many things, there are many laws that they used to follow. Why do we say now it is all about Christ? Colossians 3, 1 to 10 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Put to death, therefore, now that you are in Christ. Verse 5. What happens when you are in Christ? What you need to do? It is not to go back into the past, the celebrations of the Jews, what they used to do by their own ways that could not save them. But in response to what he has done, you put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. One, because his spirit is in you, you put to death your sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all and is in all. So, when you receive Christ, you put to death all that is of the earthly nature. And that's when you begin to realize that what he's doing in you speaks to the very essence why he came, to redeem us from sin. So, your response now is in obedience to what God has already done. Once you are fully developed in him, your desires and passions and aspirations change. Your will gets conformed to his will. Your desire will be holiness. And any failure to be holy, because you understand how much he has loved you, leads to regret. You, you, you regret that you have failed the one who saved you. I think you understand that. The one, whenever someone loves you so much and you know it, and you wrong them, you feel so much pain that you have actually wronged the one who loves you. And that's how it operates with us who are in Christ, that we know that he loved us first, and so our accepting of him is in response to his love. It is not that we have done anything, but we are responding to his love. And that response is the one that causes us to obey. Nothing else. His spirit in us releases us from fear and we begin to live in freedom. So what is your part when you are in Christ? Your hunger and thirst for righteousness increases. So long as you are in him and fully in him, you don't need to go to see what the Jews did. No. His spirit is already telling you you need to be more righteous. You need... To be holy, you hunger more and more for righteousness. And that's when you find you are praying and praying for more of his righteousness to be at work in you. And that's why someone sang, holiness, holiness. It's what you want from me. Because 
the person was feeling he or she was not worthy. But then, because God has done so much to him and for him, then the person begins to sing, Lord, holiness is what you want from me. Take my heart and form it. Take my, my, my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, to yours. When you are in Christ, your hatred for sin and evil, they increase. They increase. And you pray more and more for power to overcome sin. Because you are in him and you know what he hates. His spirit is at work in you. Your desire for justice and the truth increases. You can't be in Christ and you keep on covering up wrong things. No. You won't manage it. His spirit in you will refuse unless you are being disobedient to him. You will not see evil going on around and you just cover your face. No. Because his spirit in you is saying, this is not true. Speak up. Judge fairly. Defend the cause of the poor and the needy. That's what the Lord says. Because you are in him, so you condemn injustice and evil and you pray for the land like our land Uganda to be delivered because you are in Christ. You want justice to reign in the land. You want justice to reign in the church, even in church, the institution of the church. There are injustices that take place. And when you are in Christ and he's fully in you, you pray to see justice reign. Your desire to see more people released from sin, from bondage, increases when you are in Christ. That's why you find that some of us find you want to speak to people. Evangelism, you want to speak to them about Christ so that they can repent. And you pray and you pray more and more for the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit to be at you, to be at work in you so that you can reach out to those who do not know him. When he is at work in you, your desire is to see others fully developed in him. It is not about you, it is about him. Your desire to see others living life in its fullness increases because the one that saved you is at work in you. So you will love and you will serve and you will be kind because he's at work in you. You will desire more and more to please him because you realize that you owe him everything. And because the Holy Spirit is at work in you, the fruit of the Spirit begin to work in you. And through you, people will see. And those all are because you have responded to his love. You have responded to what he has done at the cross, which is the gospel. That without Christ coming and dying at the, on the cross, there is nothing you have, especially you and me who are even not Jews. But for him, having come and died at the cross, as Paul says, we are grafted into that covenant of the children of God. And as I said, the temptation of humankind, even after accepting Christ, there is when you feel like, what you have done is not enough. One, it's because of guilt, but also it's because we always want to feel like we are contributing something to being righteous. It is always a temptation. But you ask the Jews, they struggled with it. They struggled with it. When you read the Old Testament, you understand that it was too much. On the Sabbath, on the evening, 
Friday evening before it becomes Sabbath, when they wanted to put on such a things, they would hang them somewhere. In a way that when it is Sabbath in the morning, they want to make sure that they don't do any work. So they wake up, they come from under where they hang it, and they stand up and put their hands to fit where they should fit so that they show God they have not done any work. That's the kind of bondage they were in. Salvation by works. I must do this and this to be righteous. And, and they struggled, and some of us still struggle. They offered sacrifice after sacrifice for their sins. The moment they sin, they have to offer sacrifices. They have to offer sacrifices. You imagine how many times you have sinned, and you check in your pocket whether you have enough money to buy the sheep or the goats to sacrifice. That's why Christ is sufficient. Because when he came, he said it is offered once and for all. You can't continue to offer many sacrifices. The priests, those, by the way, in the real essence of the Bible, the title priest should not be used so much on us because the priesthood of the Old Testament changed. Everyone now who believes in Christ belongs to the royal priesthood. You reach God yourself. You access the throne yourself. There should be no one in between you and God because you are a royal priest because you accepted Christ. The priests would first offer sacrifices for their own sins and then begin to, to sacrifice for others. People come and they lay their hands on the sheep or the goat and the belief was that their sins would flow into the goats, what they call impartation. And, and then when, uh, the goat would be slaughtered when the hands are laid on the goat or on the sheep. And meaning that they have sacrificed for the, their sins have been atoned for. They did that year after year. Year after year. In Uganda, there are not enough goats or sheep that would help us to get saved. Thank God that when Christ comes, all those customs and rituals, he deals with them. And he offered one sacrifice once and for all. All you have to do is to say, yes, Jesus, I accept that what you did is enough. And I want you to teach me to obey you. I want you to teach me to love you. Praise the Lord. And then he begins to work on you as he's working on all of us day by day, day by day, until he presents us to the Father. By the way, dressed in righteousness, not that which we have achieved by our means, but because we received him. Because we can't be righteous at all on our own means. Every time we fail, we fail, we fail. But because we accepted that Christ, what you did is enough, is sufficient. Me in you, I am complete. Then he will present us to the Father saying, this one received what I offered. And that's what makes the difference between those who believe and those who don't believe. God loves us the same way the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. So he loved everyone. But the difference is that some make a choice to accept what he offered. The sufficient sacrifice. And others refuse it. Praise the Lord. And that's what brings the difference between the covenant of the Old Testament and the covenant of the New Testament. The Old Testament covenant or the Old Covenant is best 
on the law where people had to sacrifice animals even the very day they got the law. At Mount Sinai, they had to sacrifice. God entered with them in, into a covenant. But then Christ comes and he establishes a new covenant which is not based on the law but on love. And that is the grace of God. That without us doing anything, we are favored. And when you read Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, you will understand this. The difference between the old covenant, which is based on the law and performance of rituals, and the new covenant, which is based on the love of God. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, this is the prophet of the Old Testament, who is still under the law, prophesying about what will happen. And he says, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. In verse 33 he says, This is what the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them the greatest, declares the Lord. So in the old covenant, it is being declared that a new covenant will be made. And this time people will not need to remind each other of the law. Because once they have received Christ, it will be written in their hearts, the law of love. You can't receive Christ and you don't understand what the law of love is. Because he himself is love. This covenant which is made in Christ takes place what we are going to celebrate on Friday, next week. When he dies on the cross for you and for me, for our sins. No longer can you base salvation on your efforts or on what you can do because now it is based on what Christ has done. There's nothing you can do. All that you do is just a fruit. If you're a Christian and you, you find you are serving, you are praying, you are coming to church, it should be a fruit of what Christ has done. And if it is not because you have already received Christ, then you are only practicing religion, doing good works. You are not in a relationship. Not the labor of my hands. Someone sang that. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the demands of your law. Even my zeal, it cannot sufficiently meet what you need. However zealous I am, more than the Pharisees maybe, even more than Paul, it cannot help me to attain salvation. Even my tears, even if I cry the whole night and day, they cannot atone for my sins. You must save, and you alone. Who? The rock of ages that was cleft for you, that was broken for you. And that's why Paul says that if it is about rejoicing in works, I was the best. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day. When it comes to the law, I am blameless. That's what he says in Ephesians. I am blameless when it comes to fulfilling the law. But all those I count as nothing. Because when I received Christ, it made a difference. All that he was doing was useless. It is only when he received Christ that he made sense. Now, this is a Jew of the Jews. For those of you who want to follow the Jewish customs. He's saying they couldn't save him. For those of you who want to follow your works, let's do this and this and this. Praise the Lord. The sufficiency of Christ, there is nothing more you can do. Yes. There is nothing more you can do. Your part is to believe. He's the one who saves once you allow him. Yes, you will fall into sin again and again, and he's not tired of cleansing you. You'll get into the mud, that in yourself. And once you come up and, and cry out to him, he will still say, yes, what I did is sufficient to cleanse you. What I did is sufficient to cleanse you. Again and again, he continues to tell you, my love for you is greater than any sin you can ever commit. And that's why he is sufficient. Just accept. You can't save yourself, so don't do what is not yours. That is not your part. To save yourself is not your part. Just, you just receive him and you allow him to work on you because he is the savior. You need to be saved. He is the savior. Praise the Lord. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul is surprised at what the people in, in, in Galatia were doing. After receiving Christ and knowing him, they went back into the works into salvation by works. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified for your sins. And he asks a question in verse 2. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you had? Are you so foolish that after beginning by means of the spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much pain in vain? And in verse 5 he says, so I ask again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing in what you had? And in Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 to 11 he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by nature, to those who are by nature, not gods. But now that you know God, or rather, that God knows you, how is it that you are turning back to this weak and to these meek and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them again or over? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Those who are trying to think that by observing certain seasons and some observe certain hours, that they, 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 when you pray at a certain hour, God hears you more than you pray at another hour. As if you can put God in a certain box and outside that box he won't hear your prayers. God hears every hour. Yes, it is good to be disciplined, to set a time for prayer, 
But he says prayer at all times. Prayer at all times. He's not limited by anything he has created. He is God. He's above everything. Be disciplined. When you pray on another day other than Sunday, God hears you the same way he hears you when you pray on Sunday. When you pray on a Saturday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, he is God of all times, of all seasons. He never changes. When you pray at any hour, he hears you. So Sunday is, is just a day that the church set up for fellowship, for us to meet together. We meet together to pray together. The same way you can say I'll be praying at 1 p.m. or at 3 a.m. It is just for discipline. But it's not that that hour or that day, this day Sunday, is magical for God to hear your prayers. What is magical is that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is sufficient at all times. There are no times when he is, le when he is less sufficient. He is sufficient at all times. And that is the gospel. Anything added to that is the teaching of men. Because it is not scripture. It is the teaching of men. And men have many things they teach and they make you feel like unless you are doing them, you are not at par with God. They even say that Jesus rose at, at eh, Jesus did this at, at such and such an hour, things happened. At midnight they prayed and then the prison, prison gates were open. So at midnight when you pray, the prisons are open. You mean when I pray at another hour, God went to do a miracle for me? That is the teaching of men. They can look for all sorts of justifications. But I want you to be sure from the word of God that they can't find any scripture to back up that. And as Paul says, sometimes they use their experiences of visions and dreams that they have had. I did this and it worked this way. That doesn't make it a formula. The formula to the Father is Jesus Christ. Nothing else, not someone's experience. Not someone's experience. And once you have a relationship with him, you won't need other people's experiences to be the guide because you'll know him personally. You'll have a discussion with him and you will talk and you will discuss. There are times I discuss with him and we are talking and, and I feel like the discussion is ending and I say, God, we need to continue. I love this moment. Let's continue talking. And sometimes I see tears flowing. Not that I am feeling any pain, but I am loving that very moment that I'm with him. And it is not based on any time or what. It just happens when he wishes. It's so long as you seek him, you begin to have that personal relationship. And that's why in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, to the Galatians who were again going to follow the Jewish customs, when they were already in Christ, he says, Oh, my dear children. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Because when Christ is fully developed in your life, no custom, no ritual, no tradition will bind you. You will just be in him and him alone. Praise the Lord. Paul is saying, don't you understand that you already have Christ? What is your problem? In Hebrews 10, 14, he says that by one offering, he perfected forever all those that are his. He sanctified forever them that are his by one offering. Praise the Lord. If he perfects you forever, then there is a question someone can ask. 
Then does the devil follow up believers or tempt them or oppress them when they have already accepted Christ? Does it happen? People who are in Christ to be oppressed by the devil? Does the devil tempt them, yet they are perfected forever? Yes. The devil doesn't give up. It even came on Jesus and tempted him. And when he overcame, the Bible says, the devil went away just for a moment so that he could come back again another time. The devil never gives up. Those of you who have dealt in healing and deliverance, you know moments of counterattacks. You have been on a spiritual battle, healing, casting away demons from people, doing exorcism, and afterwards, you get an attack. Because the devil is not happy. You are attacking his kingdom. There is a war between the kingdom of God and of man. So the fact that Christ did it all as it pertains to salvation, yes, it is okay. It is true. He did it all as it pertains to salvation. It is by that very power that you have in him that you will fight and overcome when the devil comes. It is by that power that you will fight and overcome. There are other times when you are just a target. It is not a counter-attack. But the devil is attempting to fail God's plans and purposes for you. And so he, he comes in different ways. Maybe with temptations of sin or with just direct attacks. Sicknesses and in other ways. You know, the devil, by the way, even by having Jesus, by tempting Judas and, and using the Jews to crucify Jesus, the devil was trying to, to fail God's plan. He didn't know that it, by, it was by that way that God was going to save mankind. So the devil attacks everyone that belongs to God. But we are overcomers in Christ because Christ overcame. And many times, those of you who believe, you have overcome many times. So you have a testimony of your own that no one can challenge. Praise the Lord. The devil tortured Jesus the same way he can torture believers. The apostles were tortured. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this is, by the way, contrary to the teaching of the Fanero group who said that once you are in Christ, Christ is in you, you are actually a Christ, and therefore, sickness and other things are not your portion. And, and they are living in hypocrisy and denial because the very things they say are not their portion, they live with them. So it is just hypocrisy. A believer is at war. The, the devil doesn't just give up. If he didn't give up on Christ, who are you, a human being? Sometimes I see them putting on t-shirts with God on foot, that they are God on foot, God walking. Self-deception. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 18 says, Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into heaven, his heavenly kingdom. Do you hear that? Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack, meaning that every believer, and Paul was talking to Timothy about himself, that there are evil attacks that he gets, but the Lord will deliver him from them all and will bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. So, yield to Christ and him alone, not customs, not formulas, not seasons. Don't limit him in your thinking. Sometimes you will understand how he works, other times you will not understand. But the truth is, he will be working. And again, someone sang, 
even when I don't feel it, he is working. Even when I don't see it, he is working. Praise the Lord. So yield to him. And the one who sang this song which says, um, new wine, new wine. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. So make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing. And all you have given me. Jesus, bring your wine out of me. And, and there is the, that verse that says, in the crushing and in the pressing. There are those moments of being crushed, of being pressed. But through that process, he is bringing new wine. When the devil is thinking that he's making you go down, for him he's producing something greater in you. Praise the Lord. So yield to him. And to his careful hands. Because when you trust him, you don't need to understand everything. You just need to know you have to trust and obey. And you allow him to make you a vessel. Praise the Lord. May this Christ be fully developed in us. That we will not be limited by any teaching of man. By any customs, any traditions. We will not look at our own efforts. But we will respond to Christ in love. Because he has loved us first. And we will understand the sufficiency of what he did. And then we will live not condemned by anyone. Once you have that in you, not anybody, even in the, in the church hierarchy, can condemn you. Because they won't manage. They will try, probably. But you are free in Christ. He's the one who saves no one else. Praise the Lord. May God bless you. And may that light that he brings into our lives make you shine before men. That they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us. And we know that there is what you have shared. If my language was not perfect enough, I pray that your spirit will perfect your word in the people's hearts. That they will understand you more those who have already received you. And those who haven't, that you will cause them to surrender to your will. Because there's nothing more they can do to attain salvation but to receive Christ. So, Lord, do it because you love us all. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you.